My parents didn't know that I took this sleepies, but I got scared after because I thought that I would just go to sleep and I didn't just go to sleep. Uh, my heart started sort of palpitating and it even says on the box, you know, too many will can make you hallucinate and everything that it said was happening to me and I got scared. I felt this darkness come over my, my myself and this darkness in my room and I just got scared. It did. It, w- it was like, where where's that peaceful sleep that I'm going to feel? And it did not feel like there was going to be this peaceful sleep. It felt like something very dark was happening. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M., I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Okay, first things first, this episode is brought to you by Don C. Don C. went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Don C., for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. And speaking of this episode, um, that was Mr. Doug S.'s voice that you heard at the beginning of this uh, podcast today. I'm going to talk about him in just a little bit, but uh, um, just so you know, this is episode number five zero, episode number 50. Uh, it's absolutely, uh, that flabbergasts me to think that this, we have had 50 episodes that we have published up to this point. Uh, it's because of you guys and your support. Uh, and uh, I, I sure do appreciate it. So, like I said, that was Mr. Doug S. that you heard at the beginning of this uh, episode today. And uh, I, I want to say that I so, so much appreciate um, Doug for being an open book and being vulnerable um, and being open about his past and the difficulties that he has been presented and how he's handled them and the different points in his life. Uh, and I, I enjoyed spending time with Doug here recording these things. This is actually the third episode that Doug has on Sober Speak. If you want to find his other episodes, the first episode is episode number 21. It's called Porno Past Exposed. And I'll let you listen to that to figure out why it's called Porno Past Exposed. And then the other episode that Doug has on Sober Speak is episode number 31. It is called Do It Anyway. And um, Doug is very frank. He is open about, uh, like I said, his life in this episode, he talks about things like uh, the prescription for marijuana <laughs> that he obtained and what sort of difficulties ensued after that. Uh, he talks about his uh, a bipolar or dual diagnosis uh, disorder uh, and uh, uh, his experiences both on medication and off medication. He talks about his uh, uh, suicide attempt uh, and uh, his failed suicide attempt, I should say. And anyway, it's just, it's very intriguing and he goes into a lot of detail. For those of you listening to this, uh, you're going to be listening to it after Thanksgiving in the United States, at least. Thanksgiving was this past Thursday. And uh, I I just want to say that uh, our family went through Thanksgiving and, you know, I've decided to get a little bit more personal, give a little bit more information about myself moving into this next year on Sober Speak. And, you know, um, I grew up 
Uh, and let me put it this way. Thanksgivings were not something to look forward to. And my wife, my beautiful wife, she had some of her own uh, challenges. But we decided as a family that we were going to what we call break the cycle and create something new. And I could tell you that our kids, when Christmas and New Year's and all that stuff come along, uh, they get excited. They love it. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect parents uh, and they're not perfect kids, uh, but we're trying our best one day at a time. Um, and um, I may tell this story uh, in one of these uh, upcoming episodes of what it meant to me, uh, like my second or third uh, uh, Christmas that I was sober, and how I kind of made that uh, intentional turnaround uh, on uh, beginning to put things back in to the holidays versus taking taking them out. But for right now, I want to pass it on to Mr. Doug S. Uh, enjoy his episode. Uh, give us any sort of feedback that you want. Once again, I think we say it during the episode, but you can reach out to me at feedback at soberspeak.com and I'll make sure that Doug gets that feedback. Okay. And that goes directly to me, John M. Enjoy. I have my friend Doug, Doug S. back here with us today. And he is going to read something that he has picked out here, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Mr. Doug. Thank you, John. My name is Doug, and I, too, am an alcoholic. What I'm going to read is it's actually lyrics to a song, and it's written by Mary J. Blige, and it is called The Living Proof. It starts, it's going to be a long, long journey. It's going to be an uphill climb. It's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be some lonely nights but I'm ready to carry on. I'm so glad the worst is over because it almost took me out. I can start living now. I feel like I can do anything. And I'm finally, I'm not afraid to breathe. Anything you say to me and everything you do, you can't deny the truth because I'm the living proof. So many don't survive. They just don't make it through. But look at me, I'm the living proof. I can start flying now. My best days are right in front of me. And I'm almost there because now I'm free. Mary J. Blige. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so uh, keep in mind, everybody, we welcome all your comments and you can contact us in a couple of different ways. Uh, you can contact us uh, by going to silverspeak.com, uh, click on the Contact Us tab, or you can email us directly at feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at soberspeak.com. We not only welcome your feedback, but we highly encourage it. Uh, Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want, leave the rest at the curb. All right, so we're going to dive into this. Uh, uh, first of all, I just want to say that uh, uh, Doug is, uh, we've already done one podcast that has been released. Uh, uh, what episode number was that, Doug? Do you 21. Remember? Oh, thank you very much. Episode 21. Uh, and the name of the uh, uh, podcast is called A Porno Past Exposed. Quite a title. Uh, and, uh, but, I, you know, Doug, and, uh, Doug is about to leave town. He's leaving Texas. So I had him over here tonight uh, to eat dinner with me and my family. Uh, and uh, I could just tell you, it's been a fantastic time. We, this was not a scheduled podcast, so to speak. We were just down there eating dinner. We wanted to say goodbye to our friend Doug before he left and went back to California. Uh, and I could tell you this, that uh, my kids, before he got here, uh, we're saying things like, uh, uh, how long do we have to sit at the dinner table? Uh, when do we get to go play our games? When do we get to go communicate with our friends? And about an hour and 45 minutes later, Doug, he was cracking them up the whole time. And uh, we, we had a, in fact, I had to pull Doug away from the table to come do this podcast. So uh, we've just had a great, great time. And I'm so glad you came over tonight, Doug. 
Thank you for having me. What a wonderful family. What a wonderful family. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you say about family, and this is going a little off script here, and that um, me and my wife have mentioned many times that um, we want to break the cycle, if you will. What you watch down there with me and uh, my family is not the, uh, much like we have talked about this before, you know, we didn't grow up in an Aussie and Harriet type of, uh, uh, with an Aussie and Harriet type of a background, and, uh, but we can break the cycle and we can create something new, and it's a, it's a testament to, to God and His power and His strength and His love. And, uh, and I truly mean that from the bottom of my heart. So, all right. So anyway, we came up here. We're sitting here. Uh, and now, uh, I, but first of all, Doug, let me ask you. I, I know you kind of uh, uh, selected that Mary J. Blige thing on the fly. Can you tell me a little bit about that, that song, why it means something to you, and what the lyrics mean? I can. And I, you know, I would love to be a little bit more uh, esoteric and pull something from Langston Hughes or whatever, maybe... It sounds more highbrow. However, I sure don't want to dismiss the power of the writing of this song and Mary J. Blige's talent. She's been through a lot in her life. And I came to this song right around 2013 when my father passed. And I recall I had to make the decision, do I stay in school or do I basically use the excuse, which would have flown, um, that I need to wait another semester and I need to mourn. However, I knew that what I really needed to do was to stay in school. I was doing everything online. I was at my father's. I needed to rebuild his house, sell it, and fly out and get my degree. But none of that was going to happen because I was also in the middle of a relapse at the time. And one of the things that helped me to understand that relapse and also um, understand that I was strong enough to go through what I was going through, the loss of a father, and that I was going to do well in school. But I had to, I had to believe that I was strong enough. And it was going to be an uphill battle. And it was going to be an uphill fight. But the one thing that I knew is from being sober for X amount of years prior to that, that so many people come into the rooms and they don't make it. So many don't survive. They don't make it through. That's a line from the song. Mm -hmm. And we've both seen people that have come into the rooms and they just don't make it through. Mm -hmm. And when I say, but I look at me, I'm the living proof. I'm not saying, hey, look at me. It's, it worked for me, the steps, the, the, the program. I don't know why it works for some and it doesn't work for others, but I am living proof that someone that was so far in a bottle and every other substance you could use, as my doctor loves to call it, a polysubstance drug abuser and alcoholic, mm. that I made it through. And there were a lot of tough, lonely nights, but it can be done. And that's why that song meant so much to me. Very nice. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about that, it reminded me of that line in the third step that says, uh, uh, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help of thy power and thy love and thy way of life. In other words, let me be, uh, let me be an example. Uh, let me be a witness. Let me, let me show what your love and what your strength can do if somebody turns their will and their life over to you. And that's kind of what I picked up from what you were talking about. Exactly. So, so let's go back a little bit there. Yeah, something you said about your relapse right. uh, kind of uh, intrigued me. Uh, so let's go ahead and chase that. Okay. Um, so, so you, so you were in a relapse. You and I was the same way. I was in and out for three years. Right. I got all kinds of desire chips and other chips, and and I just couldn't stay sober. So that happened for three years. You were in a relapse, and, and it kind of. I kind of want to talk about step one here right, right. Uh, realizing you're powerless so when you would go back out on a relapse I'm, did it happen more than once yes so what was going through 
Was there any sort of particular? I, I have patterns for mine. Right? Exactly. Were there some patterns that you could identify that you were experiencing when you went out on these relapses? Absolutely. One of the things, you know, I have learned that I'm not unique. When I first came into the, the, the program, uh, I had a, a lady tell me that uh, she was, oh, honey, you're just a garden variety drunk. And I said, what do you mean by that? She says, you know, like a, just a garden variety. There's all kinds in there. And I said, oh, kind of like a, a snowflake? <laughs> kind, of, kind of like, you know, unique? And she was, oh, no, honey, you're common as good trash. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not going to sit next to her again. <laughs> and it did allow me to realize I wasn't that unique. I, th- I honestly didn't know that other people drank by themselves. I didn't know that other people couldn't wait to get away from the party so they could really go do some damage by themselves. Right. Right. I thought that was me. I remember telling somebody, going, but I drink by myself. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, most alcoholics do. <laughs> right. Because everybody else is home. I'm like, oh, really? I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And um, the pattern, to answer your question, is in November of 2012, I had about a year and a half clean and sober without any drugs or alcohol. And one of the things that I would relapse on is is marijuana. And uh, I know this is AA, but no, that's okay. Yeah. It. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, right. it's ubiquitous. Yeah. And some people would get sensitive about talking about it. And as I've shared, if I'm telling you how stoned I am, it's pretty hard to then say, but I'm sober. Right. So I'm high, but I'm sober. And um, it was in November of 2012. I was taking as many classes as I could so I could, due to my perfectionism and to my, my competition with myself, and I wanted to finish a little bit early, and I had such high standards for myself this time in college, and that if I got anything less than... Um, an A, a solid A, which had to mean a 95 or above, I would redo a paper. I remember getting an, uh, an A minus and I redid an entire term paper. Excuse me, I don't think it was a term paper, but it was for, um, it, it, it counted for, for a large grade. And um, so I was under a lot of pressure and I wasn't going to as many meetings. Watch out for those five magic words. I stopped going to meetings right. because I was very, I was busy. I was busy. <laughs> okay, how can I have time for a meeting when I'm so busy? <laughs> and, and the thing is, I was busy. And um, however, I also had some resentments. So I resigned from a job that I had that we have talked about, which lend itself to the title of one of our podcasts mm-hmm. and um i resigned from that job and just in case you didn't listen to the first part it was a, a porn shop uh, was that was that how you would uh sure we, <laughs> we made dreams come true <laughs> we were make a wish foundation for your dirty little minds across the world <laughs> we would send you toys and Potions and lotions and <laughs> to places like Adam and Eve and uh, I'm giving them free publicity. That's actually a place. Or Sarah's Secret. Um, what have you? These okay, so were, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you're retired I'm, from this. I retired uh, from my from my uh, porno shop uh, career, where I uh, I was not a participant. I just packed your box. <laughs> I mean that in the most professional yeah. shipping right, right, way. Right. <laughs> Any double entendre there is your own. Dirty mind. That's right. I said nothing. <laughs> that wasn't but the truth. So I, first of all, I'm resentful at the, the fact that I, I was kind of forced to resign. And um, it was one of those things, we're going to pay you this much. And I'm like, yeah, but that's less than what I was making. Well, yeah, but it's salary. And I'm like, yeah, I can do the math. But so <laughs> I, um, I, I left the, you know, I resigned. Um, I was going to, when I, and I thought, okay, well, now that I've resigned, I'm going to go to meetings. But I was, we hear about people being dry drunks. I wasn't working with my sponsor. I wasn't doing the steps. And by the time that I would get to a meeting, I would listen to people's shares. 
and I would judge their shares and I would just seethe. And when people would talk about their great life, I would think to myself, I've seen your house. I've seen your car. You don't have a great life. <laughs> and I would just judge. Right. And then somebody else would talk about their happy, joyous, and free. And I would just think, oh, I hate you. <laughs> because I wasn't happy, joyous, or free. And I was upset that I was just upset. And, um, you know, they, they, it's irritable, restless, and discontent. You take the drink away from me and the drugs away from me, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the, the, the substitute for that is being in fellowship, being, being in service, being part of the community. I was not. I, I kept myself away. And I just so happened to have a prescription for marijuana and here's the thing. I had planned that relapse. How'd you get the prescription again? You go to the doctor. I mean, but did you, what were your, what do you have to tell him? You have anything? He had already was treating me for a myriad of other issues. So he sure didn't go, oh, this is incongruent to who you are. You know, he knew that I had depression. And when you were, was this in California, right? It was. And I didn't realize this. <laughs> so, I didn't realize that this guy was, I didn't have insurance. And I was, right after my mother passed away, I, and I returned to Los Angeles, I started going to see a therapist. And this therapist wanted me to um, possibly investigate taking some um, antidepressants. I shared with him that I drank too much alcohol and did too much cocaine to ever be on an antidepressant. And what was he trying to do? Kill me? And I said this with just pure conviction and just thought he was crazy. And he looks at me and he goes, well, why don't we look at why you're drinking so much and doing cocaine? And I said, well, because I've got to drive home and I don't want to be wasted. (laughs) So this made perfect sense to me. And and I just thought, this guy's not a very good therapist. (laughs) <laughs> and and that's the delusion that I was under. I was just like, what is your problem? And so I, w- I met this doctor by way of my, my, my therapist saying, you can go to this doctor. He will, he will take cash and it's not going to cost that much. He will do an intake on you and you can try some antidepressants. Antidepressants, I'm not trying to be um, controversial or whatever, I've been told this disease rarely walks by itself or walks alone. I'm definitely a dual diagnosis. I do not mind to break my anonymity about that I'm bipolar. Um, I think once the shame goes away from that disease, um, you can have a decent life. Okay, so hold on. Let me let, yeah, me, let me slow you down there. I don't think we've talked about that yet, right? We've right. We've, uh, we've had several con- uh, conversations both on the podcast and away from the podcast. And so you are bipolar. Then. I am bipolar. Okay. And is that controlled with medication? And what are the symptoms? Uh, I mean, I, I know in general what the symptoms are. You know, real high, real low. But but from your from your description of it, uh, how has that? Uh, played into your recovery? You know, what are the symptoms of it? Just say what you want to say about a bipolar condition. I will tell you the the best way that it was pointed out to me. Mind you, I was diagnosed when I was 19. However, in 1984, it was the friggin' dark ages of antidepressants and bipolar and manic depressive. There are still jokes about it. However, people used to be just annihilated in the in the with, with jokes on the tonight show or whatever comedian is or oh they're bipolar they're manic depressive it seems to be the catch-all they're off their medication yeah. and when i was um, so they diagnosed you when you were 19 huh? right after a suicide attempt gotcha and um Tell me about that i mean do you suicide, want to go I'm, yeah. I'm, there is nothing off top off off Limits to me. How did you? I don't know. I can honestly say this: there was nothing that happened that pushed me into a depression. I went to. I was always depressed as I as a kid. I grew up in a lot of chaos, as we've talked about. My parents loved to engage in fighting. 
there was uh, my mother was constantly mispredicting the return of God, and so there there was really no future. You know, uh, you couldn't really have dreams or goals because God was coming back tomorrow. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to study for the math quiz because God's going to come back. Luckily, I went to a Christian school where they had, I thought, God was coming back makeup day. <laughs> that I mean, this is, you know, I, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to laugh at some of the things you're saying, because as you know, this is a very serious issue. But, I, you know, I'm thinking about your mom mispredicting the God coming back on a consistent basis and how that can really mess with a kid's head. I mean, it, it's it's halfway funny, but halfway very... Uh, almost surreal, so to speak. So, well, and that is uh, comedy is <laughs> tragedy and timing. We all yeah. we all know that. Yeah, I don't know that everybody is able to put the words that were told to me into the mix of my mind, and they come out mm-hmm. kind of funny. Mm-hmm. However, if you notice, everything that I I, I usually say is really serious. It's somehow a spun just genetically or whatever, the way that my brain is wired to it kind of comes out funny, yeah. but it's serious. Right, right. And what it did to me is I had no goals, I had no dreams because when you know, just enjoying the dinner with your your family and you and your wife talking to your children about their their goals and their dreams, that was so wonderful to watch. However, that was completely incongruent with what I grew up with. And we were both joking. I go, well, at this age, it's kind of hard for me to blame mommy. You know, it's like I'm kind of in control here. But it's to watch the the look on your kids as their face lit up because you were talking to them about the future. When I would speak about the future and I, I had similar dreams as your son. And when I would talk to my mom and say, I'm going to go out to California and I want to be a star. I'm going to be an actor. And my mother would say, son, this world is so filled with sin and that there's trouble in the Middle East. Look, there's always been trouble in the Middle East. Right. So and um, that place is kind of a a party gone bad. But it's uh, there's always going to be trouble in the Middle East. But it's right there in Revelations. And and it's always kind of offering to me with people that have such strong faith. Why are they always trying to prove something? You know, faith is to believe something without proof in the story. Hey, I've got some more proof about that faith. Like, <laughs> would you call it faith? I didn't think we need proof. But anyway, so there was always a lot of mispredicting. And at nine years old, I was made to sit through this movie called The the Rapture, where they show they did a wonderful Hollywood production of planes crashing and, and people being gone and graves bursting open and this is at nine. And, uh, uh, you know, and you have to take the mark of the beast. And here's the thing. A lot of people think what I'm saying is just completely isolated. This is in the Bible. I'm not trying to be controversial. Yeah. This is in the Bible. And this is people can kind of pick and choose what they wish to right. believe. Yeah. I was raised in a fundamentalist missionary Baptist church. And there was a lot of people that were backing up my mother with film that I just spoke of, with scripture. So why was I to believe that what she was saying is not true? Mm -hmm. This was my environment. There was nobody going, hey, kid, over here. There's a, you may have a a chance at something. So you might have a future. So it was just going back to when I was diagnosed I was diagnosed, I cannot tell you what brought on the depression. I was aware... So before you were diagnosed, there was at least a year or so of depression. Uh, Do you know how long it was? I didn't think that I was depressed. Here's what the odd thing is. So I went away to college, and as we've shared before, Southeast Missouri State. University. It was a big pot party school, listed number one in Playboy. And um, so I went away there and wow, I excelled at drinking and going to the keg parties and being social. And for whatever reason, 
by the time that my birthday rolled around, so I had already been in school for a semester. I did not do, well, actually two semesters because I was one of those kids that did so bad on the SAT or ACT that I had to go to the summer program to where it was 099. You, you just had to crash the college and, and take some classes and go, I get a C, I'm in. And um, so, so that's how I got into the college. So I actually had two semesters under my belt, but I wasn't doing well. I guess there was some pressure there. And I just can't tell you what, what made me think I just don't want to live. And I took some over-the-counter sleeping pills, two bottles of sleepies. And you knew what you were doing. I knew 100% what I was doing. And I... Sleepies. ease. And just out of curiosity, how do, you, how do you come up with that sort of plan? Did you research it? Or do you... I mean... I'm do you know what? I, 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 I do vividly recall the, the taking, ty- or, or taking a bunch of Tylenol. And if you, just, just an odd fact, Tylenol is the number one um, drug used to overdose. And what happens is, because it's so easy to get a hold of, and what happens is your, your, your organs shut down. And it's a very graphic, from what I've read, and, and painful death. You, you have liver failure. And I had tried numerous times, and when I say numerous times, I'm, I'm saying at least five in my dorm room, where... My, you tried to kill yourself. Yes, and I wrote very long letters. And and um, do you still have those letters? No, no, okay. I don't. And uh, it, it, they were all apology. It was always an apology. It wasn't you people wronged me. It was you know I hit it, all the relatives, and you know, and and I'm sorry. I don't know why this is going on with me. And I was very uh very morose and in um. I know people thought that I was fun, and 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 but I, I was morose. I I, I would write. I, you know, now I guess they call it emo, but it's. Um, I didn't look that way on the outside. I I, I came across in What's one emo? way. What's uh, emo? Emo is like the kid that's got the dark hair and, and all in black and listening oh, to Slipknot yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know. If if love if roses mean love, why are there thorns? <laughs> you know, so there there's a great skit about you know um, uh, Elmo the emo and he cuts himself and you know it's it's comedy and pain. Yeah. So to answer your question, and I I was at my parents' house and so I kept on I would always throw up or I would make myself throw up. Or I was so inebriated, I would throw up from as many pills as I was taking. And it's a good thing because I did not realize that that would have rendered my liver, you know, it would, it would, it would eviscerate my, my liver. But at the same time, it's hard to like say, oh, I'm glad that I didn't die because that when the goal was to kill yourself. So it's it's, you know, it's like, oh, glad I'm not dead. It's like, really? I thought that's what you were going for. <laughs> So I found, you know, I'm, I'm 18. I only have access to what, what I have. I thought 60 sleep ease, E-E-Z, from Kroger's, and I stole them. I didn't purchase them. Well, I guess if... They weren't expensive. Yeah. But, yeah, I, and it's... I remember it's like I was going to get a razor blade, and then I, like, lost some... Because I had also just seen the movie Ordinary People and their son, you know... Try, attempt suicide with, with a razor and I thought oh, I don't want to do that it'll be messy and um, so anyway I, I attempted suicide and um, you know and so the times that, that it were, where it wouldn't work did would you just wake up I, I mean did you just wake up and go God I can't believe I did that and or were you even more depressed or well the, you know, as I stated most of the dorm room tries, ended in me throwing up yeah. so I'm expelling the drugs yeah. and that was either like I said self-induced vomiting or vomiting from the the being completely inebriated so I, I will go ahead and share that at that attempt that landed me into the hospital because my parents 
put the together one, what was going on. The one with the sleepies? Yes. Yeah. And I ended up in the in a hospital, and I will never forget. Like a psychiatric hospital? Yes. Or a, okay. Yes. In Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. And I'll never forget this gentleman. He said, do you want to hurt yourself? And I said, yes. And I didn't tell him that I had taken this medication or, or, or the sleepies. My parents didn't know that I took this sleepies, but I got scared after because I thought that I would just go to sleep and I didn't just go to sleep. Uh, my heart started sort of palpitating and it even says on the box, you know, too many will can make you hallucinate and, you know, uh, everything that it said was happening to me and I got scared and I felt, oh, you know, this almost sounds foolish, but at the same time, it's, I felt this darkness come over my, my, myself and this darkness in my room and I just got scared. It did. It, w- it was like, where, where's that peaceful sleep that I'm going to feel? And it did not feel like there was going to be this peaceful sleep. It felt like something very dark was happening. And I will never forget, I opened the door of my bedroom and I walked by my mom's room and I said, Mom. And she just immediately said, yes. And she knew something was wrong. And I just burst into tears. And I said, I think I'm going crazy. And I never told them what, what I had taken. Unfortunately, they contacted doctor that was on call and a prescription of Valium was called in and I took some Valium. So that kind of made it even worse. And then I do recall we're going into the hospital and I didn't know who my parents were. And, um, some people have called this, some, some doctors will call it a psychotic breakthrough, breakdown, uh, or drug induced. Mm-hmm. But I, I did not know who they were. I thought that I, I had some illusion or delusion going on that they were trying to take me to a prison or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also remember that I was speaking a um, very foul language, and uh, which was completely not part of the dialogue that was in our family. We, you know, you don't, didn't curse. And, um, when it was all said and done, and I knew that they were giving me a sedative in the hospital. So mind you, I already have all these sleepies in me. I have Valium in me. And now they're giving some, they're telling me that they're giving me something to, to calm me down and make me sleep. And I thought this may be it. This may do it. And, and maybe they'll know how to do it. And you mean they'll know how to kill you, right, basically? Right. Like, in other words, when you're saying this may be it, right. this may be the ticket to take me exactly. to the other side. Exactly. Because it wasn't like I suddenly had a will to live. Right. I, I was just like, I'm not doing this right. And, you know, this may be uncomfortable to hear, but I don't think I'm the only one that has ever gone through this. And I recall crying and before we went to the hospital and just kind of rocking back and forth and uh, my dad was home at the time and um, I said nothing's going to be the same after this and I said that because it's so hard to shake that off and just act like everything's going to be okay now and I knew that things weren't going to be okay I was now going to be deemed damaged or deemed psychologically unstable and that's before we got to the hospital so when I woke up from the hospital or in the hospital I remember feeling so much depression and because I was also embarrassed that it didn't work and that I was now going to face my family and my family came up and I could overhear the doctor talking to them and then it was family day and we're all playing Scrabble or something. And I remember that any time that I got a word, everybody would be like very excited for me. <laughs> you know, like, good job, dog. And I'd be like, it's okay. And they'd be like, no, no, you're bright. <laughs> you know, and I'm just sitting in there in the day room with these people that you know I, I I want to try to believe that I'm different than them but I'm like we're all in here on the same MO you know, we all tried to off ourselves and um, 
<laughs> yeah, and what, what was so and so, uh, my parents are and my sister at the time. They're just like, "Hey, Doug," and I'm like, "Don't please don't talk to me in that voice." And uh, I remember my sister at one point. She came. I was in there for three weeks until my dad's insurance said I can no longer have a private room. And then I suddenly got better. <laughs> Meaning, it's like I knew exactly what to tell them. But I never felt so safe in my life when I was in there. However. When I talk about the, it being the dark ages, they had me on Thor, Thorazine. They had me on lithium. They had me on Halcyon. Um, um, Halcyon or Haldol, one of the two. I just remember that it was whatever, whatever problem that I had, there was another drug for, for that symptom. And I recall the day that I, that I, I was being discharged and we stopped at the elevator and I looked at my dad and my dad said, uh, son, are, are you ready? And, and I said, well, I, I don't want to share a room. And I know that might sound, I, I don't know. I, I was just, I'm, I just turned 19. I, I, I was, I was young. Uh, it was one of the youngest people in there. There were a lot of people that were going through shock treatment. If you've ever seen someone after their shock treatment, uh, the day before, you can have a conversation with them, and then the next day, they look completely perfect or, or fine, but they don't know who they are or you are. And so, th th there were some very scary things going on there. And um, uh, people that had years and years of mental deterioration going on. So, the that scared me. And so, I took the medication that, that was subscribed or prescribed to me. And I recall I, I, I wanted to go back to college and I did go back to college, but I also felt very foolish and embarrassed because my hands would shake so much and I'd have tremors from the drugs. Mm. And just to talk about, you know, alcoholism, I recall that I was told that I couldn't drink on any of the, the drugs that I was on. And I don't know if we talked about this before mm, or not, so. but, you know, and it's, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, we have winter. I mean, real winter, not, not <laughs> like a quarter inch of snow in, the, in Dallas is shut down. <laughs> we, we had snow. And I walked, we, you couldn't get your car out of the parking lot because there was so much snow. I walked at least a good 45 minute walk with a fake ID to this place where I could buy cocktails for two. <laughs> they, and they were, I didn't have much of a budget. I, $25 a week was what I was getting. And I believe these were $2.98 a piece. I can remember it. I, they had this big display, cocktails for two. And, uh, and I bought two of them because I wanted cocktails for four. <laughs> and so I went back to, and you know, they questioned my ID and I'm just like, what? You know, and I guess it's, you know, so little town, whatever, here it is. And um, I think I even like pleaded with them. I'm like, I just walked from campus. <laughs> I need those cocktails for four. <laughs> So I went back and I was so elated that I had my cocktails for four and I was on all this medication and people also knew that something happened while I was away because someone tried to visit me when I was in the hospital and of course they can't get through the doors and suddenly girl interrupted, you know, reference and it's, uh, I haven't even seen that movie, but I'm sure there's probably a we can't get in. She's in the psycho ward. So it's, uh, it was very much that. And so people were, you know, questioning well, what happened to me and this and that. And uh, it was just, I was just so embarrassed. So I go back to my room and I drink successfully. And I'm like, I can drink on these medications. And so I continued to party quote unquote and just this haze of these drugs and I remember walking to class one day and people stopping to say hi to me and I didn't even remember that I had seen them because later on in the lunch hall they, they said what was wrong with you today and I'm like when and they're like I saw you on your way to class I was so drugged out of it and still on my cocktails, you know, that I'm just like, who, who are you talking about? So I was so embarrassed. I withdrew from school. And I recall my mother came into my room one day 
and she has medication in her hands. And I raised up from, from my bed. That sounds so biblical. I raised up from my bed. <laughs> like Lazarus. Yes, yes. And I've, he and I have about equal amounts of death, I think. <laughs> and I rise again. And um, by the way, I almost read Maya Angelou today. And, um, but so the, the, I, um, I told my mother, I said, don't, I go, don't you see what's happening to me? I go, look at me. I go, I'm shaking. I've gained all this weight. Who, who am I? I go, does this not affect you to see me like this? And I didn't take any medication after that until for 20 and 20 years later, I started medication. And that's when that doctor said, I can hook you up with this doctor and he will write your prescription for... Lexapro or uh, whatever when when I was going to test drive, and then it dawned on me by from some some of the sketchy people that were in his office. I'm like, <laughs> he writes prescriptions for marijuana, <laughs> and I call up the 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 receptionist. I go, does Doctor So and So write prescriptions for for uh, marijuana? She goes, who is this? <laughs> I go, this is Doug, and she goes. Doug, you've been coming here for years. Of course he does. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> and, and, and mind you, I had just gotten into the program of AA when I had my oh, prescription. Man. So I'm sober, but I still, my plan, because someone had told me, well, I smoked pot for the first five years. And I'm like, that sounds great to me. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, so I, even though my sponsor, when I was going through, he asked me, he said, are you done? And I ask any anybody that I work with, that's one of the first questions I ask. I go, are you done or not? Because if you're not done, we're kind of just wasting time. And, and I share with them, I go, I wasn't done. <laughs> right. But I wasn't going to tell anybody I wasn't done. <laughs> and, and I said, let me believe, tell, tell you that when, when it was found out that I was a big lie, I paid a lot for that through through loss of friends and loss of trust. So going back, that whole long tour that we took was to you know get back to how I got the prescription for um, marijuana. And even though I had got off of marijuana and got back into the program and was honestly sober for almost two years, every year that I would you had to renew your 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 prescription every six months or every year. And so even though I wasn't smoking pot, when he would say, do you want your prescription of marijuana? I would say, yes, I do. Was it very expensive? The pot? Yeah. Oh, my word. It was... Uh, so Yes, because it was even the worst pot that they had, which was called Compassion Week. <laughs> And, and because they had, you would see these like, people roll up and they'd be like, oh, dude, I'm going to have like some munchies and some <laughs> edibles and I want that purple kush. And the purple kush was like. Purple kush? Yes. Yeah. It was, kush was voted by High Times Magazine best <laughs> weed of the year. So you cannot, you, you can't. I, I can just hear people tuning out going, I thought this was about sobriety. <laughs> this is the disease, people. Okay, I'm sober today. I'm sober today. It was a long, long journey, as Mary J was talking about. And it's, uh, but I made it. I'm the living proof that you can go through all this hell and you can still somehow find sobriety in it. And I would always renew my prescription. So I was just waiting for it to happen. And I would think, well, every day I go to the store, I have to make a decision if I'm going to drink or not. So I might as well have a prescription to just in case I want to relapse. Again. <laughs> so I remember I went to a meeting. I'm That's a good logic. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not dumb. I'm what you would call weld read. <laughs> I may be mispronouncing that. Am I? Is it well read or no, I well think it's read? read. Is it? Yeah, it sounds yeah. better that way. But you're kind of like a, a Boy Scout, and some for you know for you're you're prepared just in case you do. It was my Swiss Army knife. <laughs> okay, so I 
I remember being so livid by a comment that somebody made, and I'm not even going to go into it, but I remember it vividly. And, uh, and that's what, that's how resentment show up in me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to replay that again. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about it because that would be too simple. I'm going to replay that fight in my head. And so that I did. And I remember I drove by the, the weed store, the dispensary. And believe this place is nice. They've got like these brown, cool little, little, uh, uh, Aprons on that say the pharmacy with an F. So, so <laughs> pharmacy with an F. Oh, it's nicer than Starbucks. And you'd come in and you'd take a ticket. And of course, like since I'm, I'm an overshare and I talk with everybody, they're like, hey, Doug. <laughs> and I'm there. And I would also get a student discount, which I deemed and what they officially started calling the higher learning. <laughs> I'm responsible for that. If you ever got a 10% off, I'd be like, I have a student ID. And they're like, you're in your 40s. And I'm like, right? I am in my 40s. And so you had this passport book. And every time you'd buy an eighth, you would get it stamped. And you would, if you had 12 eighths, yeah. you would then get, get a, a free, free eighth. <laughs> like a and baker's dozen. Right. But I could get the purple kush. <laughs> So from my from my twelve purchases of the compassion weed, that was still good. It was much better than the Mexican dirt weed that we'll talk later about. How cops found a bunch of that in my house that I was running, but uh, yeah, that's for another time. But anyway, um, anyway, there'll be a pamphlet that explains all this later. You're listening, you just follow along, connect the dots, and uh, so. I, I go into that place and uh, you asked if it was expensive. Yes, it was expensive because I would, it was, it was $35 for their for, compassion weed for, an, for eighth. an eighth. And I had to smoke an eighth every 48 hours. And you're talking about an eighth of an ounce, right? Just right. for those who <laughs> right. may and not so, be right. in the know. <laughs> and, and it would, and it would see, and they put it in this little white bag, and 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 it's in this this canister that's and it has a label on it, and they're they're very nice, and um, they would stamp my passport, and um, and then what I would think is at the end of that twelve, I would be like, so that's thirty five plus tax, that's like thirty eight dollars times twelve. That's what that cost you. And I'm like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. And um so I um Purple Kush. Purple Kush. And so when I relapsed right at that time, you know, I I I love to say that, you know, it was all because my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Truth be told, I already had the weed uh a week before I knew that he had, he had cancer, if not two weeks, um, I was primed and ready for a relapse. And I think that I have such a fear of ever drinking again. Now, I know the book that says we, we will come to have a neutrality, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but, but a neutral... We'll be placed in a position of neutrality. Right, okay. So, uh, I told you I was well-read. <laughs> <laughs> And that proves it. Neutrality. It's not exactly a small word. <laughs> as I pontificate. Uh, so I um I was primed and ready for a relapse and that and so so it happened. So it's um uh, and then right after my father passed, I, I I knew that I had to go forward and I had to stop. And the only thing I was in the middle of nowhere. There, there weren't all the cool meetings that I was going to in L.A. There was in a bunch of pretty people and actors talking about, oh, my God, the awards night. It was so crazy. <laughs> the awards and night. And I'm like, right? And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about, but I'm living vicariously through them. I'm like, I feel the same way, dude. And um, so it's uh, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm smoking like I'm being sponsored by Purple Kush. And, um, and of course, since I'm a drug addict and alcoholic, you can place me anywhere and I'm going to find a connection. And so I immediately found a connection. And I, um, uh, I recall t- 
texting the guy who I was getting this from. Let's give his name. And um, <laughs> but so I, I I keep on. I'd had this moment where I'm literally listening to the song that I just read, and and I I just prayed and I said, God, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. I've got too much to lose. I, I've got so much work to do, not only in school, but I've got to rebuild this house. I'm, I've just lost my best friend. I, I don't know how to do, um, um, I don't know how to mourn properly. You know, it's, it's you know people go oh well there's not a right right or wrong way to to, to mourn I I can compartmentalize it and go well he had this disease and so now he's dead let's move on and somewhere inside of me there's there's like this little kid going yeah but I kind of hurt and I'm like I got you he died you know and that's that's <laughs> kind of how it goes down and when a therapist said you intellectualize and compartmentalize your emotions I go that's good right <laughs> he said no it is not good and um at all and uh, so I'm like because well, those are two good words intellectualize compartmentalize right I, it's like kind of cleaning up the house it's like it was going to just be a mess you're the one that's telling me not to do cocaine and uh, when I'm too drunk and, and get me on antidepressants suddenly I'm going to be shooting Phil Hartman because uh, uh, that was a combination that killed him via his psychotic wife. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's um, oh, yeah. bringing up full circle, if it's possible. I made, right before I got, a couple years before I got sober, I made one of the most horrific geographics where I would... After partying and partying and partying, I would then get depressed because that's just how it happens. All your serotonin's gone. You're, you're just depressed. And I would think, I need to leave this city. This city is the problem. This, this godless city. And I left a rent control apartment on Sunset Boulevard, drove to Missouri to a small town called Wharton, it's Warrington, but it's pronounced Warrenton. <laughs> and um, when I showed up, there's this big sign in front of this bar that I became very familiar with because I am as adaptable as a frog in a friggin' frying pan. I would just sit there and go, is it hot here? Or is it, oh, I'm dead. I, but, but the thing is, I don't die. You just can't kill me. I mean, what? I'll leave tonight and I'll be struck. Whatever. But it's, but it's, I can acclimate so easy, which is scary. And I remember there's this big sign and it says, welcome hunters. And there's all these trucks with all these gun racks and all these Bass Pro shops. I'm from L.A. All right. So where people swear that they did you get. Oh, my God. Did you buy your dog from a breeder? That's kind of where you get them. They're like, you evil spawn. We rescued our dog, which translations means we got in a Range Rover. Parked out front of our house, north of Sunset, and we called somebody and we paid a lot of money to get this used dog. And yes, I call them used dogs because I've had one of those used dogs before. And you're like, why are you cowering? Oh, that's right. You're damaged. You're damaged. And I'm supposed to feel good about this. Anywho. <laughs> Getting back. Um, I leave all that glamour of L.A. And I drive to Wharton, Missouri. <laughs> Welcome, hunters. And, um, and soon I would be doing karaoke and doing shots in this bar and hanging with the locals. And, of course, <laughs> they're like, Hollywood's here. <laughs> and I'm, I'm singing, uh, let me let go. Here's one by Faith Hill. Doug Charles, coming up. <laughs> let me let go. Let me let go. And it was just, it was, it was a shit show. That's the first time I've cursed on here. That's okay. And let me tell you, if you know me, that's a miracle. So, 
I knew that I had to see a psychiatrist. I had just sold everything, left my left a, a thriving career as as a well-respected, published trainer. People cared what I thought about training. I'd created this class, Attitude Adjustment, uh, that, that was in Elle magazine, New York magazine. Uh, um, Los Angeles Fitness, Mind, Body, and Spirit. And it's, uh, I may, we may have already talked about this, but it was about, you know, breaking down the walls to get to the true you and how to live the best life that you were meant to live. I created this, ha- this class in the midst of my, my addiction. And, um, but so I leave a, a decent career to go live with my dad in a 55 and over retirement park where it's all double wide mobile homes. And they used to go, I forget what it was, but they would say, oh, the graveyard, because people would just like go there and die. <laughs> and apparently it worked for my dad because he didn't get out alive. Oh. And um, I know I may have too soon. No, nothing's too soon. But it's... Um, so suddenly I'm hanging out at Shooters and Shots and uh, with, with, the, with the Welcome to the Deer Hunters. And um, I just acclimated back. And so I, I recall going to this therapist and I said, here's what I just did. I said, I, I sold all my stuff. I left a career. I had a rent control apartment. And, and if you don't know what rent control is, that means they can only raise your rent 3% per year. Since I've been in Frisco, it's gone up almost 50%. Um, so that's a really good thing to live on a top floor apartment with no common walls. And you've got a great view. You're from the Midwest and you made it to Sunset Boulevard. All right. So to give that up, to go live in a mobile home in the middle of nowhere. And I talked to this therapist who's 66 miles away in the city. And she says, you are, you're a class or, or you're just, um, how did she say, your textbook, uh, classic example of, of bipolar. And I said, no, I don't have the highs. I, I don't have the mania. She goes, you sold all of your stuff and you moved <laughs> to Missouri. You not only moved to Missouri, you moved to Warrington. <laughs> I wanted to correct her and say, it's, it's warned. <laughs> you might not know about it, but they have a big celebration for the hunters. You might want to come up to shooters and shots, get out of your, your uppity suit here in St. Louis. But so it's, um, she said, that's mania. And I said, I don't see it. And she explained it again. She's you sold all of your stuff that had to be manic. And she is, <laughs> you and I said okay and she said I can help you and she said um, what I would like to be able to give you is a gift of being able to just sit down and relax she was are you able to just read a book and I thought no I, I, I can't sit still. I, I need to just get completely obliterated. And so I was self-medicating for all those years. And that started me on a journey of accepting help because I knew that she had nothing. She had no reason to tell me anything else. And then she said, what happens is when you make that move and you've sold all your stuff and you've left your your job and you've left all your friends and you find yourself in Warrington, Missouri, hanging out with the deer hunters, <laughs> singing karaoke, <laughs> doing $2 jello shots. I'm like, they're 10 in LA. I'm already saving money, woman. <laughs> and so there's, uh, she says, then you have to deal with the depression of that decision. She says, that's where you are right now. And I was very depressed and I was very suicidal. And that was in uh, 2003. 2003. Well, you know, Doug, as usual, the time has flown. 
Um, we're going to have to pick this up another time, but this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you being on the podcast again. And uh, um, once again, um, we're going to miss you. Uh, I'm sure you'll do wonderful in California. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for everything that you've uh, brought to Frisco uh, and uh, your personality and your spirit and uh, your vulnerability, especially here for the podcast. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic, and I, I sure do appreciate it. I'm going to miss you, friend. Thank you for being my friend. You're welcome. All right, so page 164. Abandon yourself to, to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Goodbye, everybody.